Well, good morning again, saints. I invite you to turn or scroll with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6 as we continue our series on wisdom and spend a lot of time in the book of Proverbs. So our theme this morning is a unique theme, but a crucial theme. Seven things that God hates. Not your normal Sunday morning preaching, especially on a dedication Sunday. But if the Lord is going to show us specific things that his soul hates, I want to know what those are. That's important for us. So what we're going to do today, we're going to look at this list of seven things that God hates, but actually we're going to flip them so that I can give you not just seven things to avoid, but seven things to live for in their place. Now what you'll notice as we work through this this morning is that many of the references for each point will have a verse. Many of these verses appeal directly to the gospel. In light of God's mercy, in light of God gifting you with eternal life, in light of regeneration, in light of being born again, in light of what is ahead, in light of what you have avoided, namely the wrath of God, live like this. That's the difference between a Christian and a moralist. There are many moralist people in our world today. They seek to live a moral life, and we commend that to to a certain degree. But that's not what the Christian life is. The Christian life is energized and powered by God's grace, the Spirit living inside of us. And in light of what is ahead, in light of what God has saved us from, we endeavor to walk in His ways By the power of the Holy Spirit. So Proverbs chapter 6. And by the way, uh, this is a dedication Sunday. This is a wonderful blueprint for us parents to consider with our own kids as we raise our families. Proverbs chapter 6, beginning in verse 16, we read this. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Let's quickly list these out so we can see them in succession. Haughty eyes, that's pride and arrogance, lying tongue, shedding innocent blood, heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies. And one who sows discord. So as we give the good word to avoid these vices. For our instruction this morning, I'd like to replace them 
with their opposites. That scripture instructs us to strive after. I believe these vices are clear enough for us to know exactly what he's speaking to. And here's my practical challenge to each of us today. There's seven and they're all good. But as you contemplate this before the Lord, perhaps ask him to show you one that you can in particular focus on. Perhaps one that you find particularly it's, it's a weakness of yours. Right? So our flipped list is this. Things to strive after. Humility. Truth-telling, building one another up, setting our mind on Christ, walking in His ways, speaking life to those around us, being an agent of life for crying out loud and hope, and to promote and preserve unity. So that's the list that we'll work through. Before we begin... I want to take you back to our verse, and I've highlighted a few words. Notice how the proverb is constructed. He talks about our eyes, our tongue, our hands, our heart, our breath. What I would like to submit to you this morning is this. As we look at what we should strive after, let us do so with our whole being. Not half-heartedly, but with all that we've got. This is how our Lord taught us to live. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. And you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all your strength. That is the good word from our Lord. To love the Lord with everything that we have in us. So let's begin our list. And again, I am preaching a list this morning, so it will feel like a list. It's going to be, you have seven sermon points this morning. Here's the first one. We are going to replace haughty eyes, pride, proud, arrogant eyes with humility. Notice, as I said before, this is not legalism. This is not do better next time. Stop doing that. This is in response to the unconditional love that God has shown us and continues to show us and will continue to show us. And all of it is summed up in the gospel. Philippians chapter 2 verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if you have any encouragement in Christ, being saved, born again, heaven bound, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, he says this, make my joy complete. How? By being of the same mind, having the same love that Christ showed us, and being in full accord And of one mind. Now stop there for just a moment. He is appealing to the goodness of God in our lives. He is appealing to us to be of the same mind. 
Lord knows the last couple of years we know there are things we disagree on. But one of them is not the gospel. The gospel is not one of them. Keep the main thing, the main thing, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He goes on in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That's the opposite of those haughty eyes. Do absolutely nothing that is self-promotion or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Church will be a beautiful place to be when we live this out. Notice how he words this, do nothing. Nothing. It's all for the Lord. It's a personal humility. And we didn't read the whole passage. You might know verses 5 to 11 speak as well of Christ's humility. How he humbled himself, became one of us, lived among us, died for us on a Roman cross. Number two. We don't need any lying tongues. So we're going to replace that with telling the truth. This is Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, in light of all that I've been teaching you, Paul says, put away falsehood. I love how scripture operates. He just says, stop it. Stop it. Stop doing it. He names the sin and he says no more. Having put away falsehood. Now this is what he's doing. He's telling you to stop doing one thing and start doing something else. Which is what we're doing this morning. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Let each one of you. Not a one of us is exempt from this. This is for all of us. This is for every single one of us. Speak the truth to your neighbor. Now he ties it to the gospel. For we are members one of another. Last night, uh, Mike gave us a good word, Mike Spear, uh, when we celebrated communion together at our church dinner. He talked about the unity of Christ. The unity of the church and how important it is to do the hard work to maintain that. And this is what Paul is appealing to. You're not going to have any unity if you're lying to one another. So start by telling the truth. Sermon point number three. Now, I was tempted just to leave this one blank. No shedding innocent blood. I thought, you know, we can leave that one as it is and move on to point number four. But scripture develops this concept of murder. Remember Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. But I tell you, you, right? Anger and hatred towards one another. God is always looking at the heart. So we 100% affirm, do not shed innocent blood. 
But we want to go a little bit deeper. Because God is always interested in matters of the heart. Our attitudes and our dispositions as well. So we're going to replace that. The idea of hating other people or tearing them down. Or killing them. With building them up. That's a great New Testament concept. Building one another up. Edifying one another. We're still in Ephesians. Chapter 4. Rather, speaking of who we used to be before Christ, speaking the truth in love. Now, by the way, that's helpful for us to remember with what we just said. We speak the truth to one another, but we speak it in love. We are to grow up in every way into Christ, who is the head. Him is Christ. Into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You have just received a seminary class on church life. Building one another up in love. Not tearing one another down. Not slandering other people. Not gossiping about others when they're not present. Not being mean to one another. But in love. Building one another up. And not just patting one another on the back saying, boy, you're a great person. No. I mean that too. But... Building one another up in our most holy faith. Reminding one another, speaking to one another who we are in Christ. What God has in store for us. This is what body life should look like. Uh, This just popped in my mind. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. This is a verse that we go to often, but I want you to see it again this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. There's your gospel gospel comfort right there. God has made promises and God is faithful to keep his promises. That's the context. Verse 23. 24, sorry. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and to good works. I love this. Let us give thought as to how we can edify one another and stir one another to love and to good works. Why? Because we so naturally, we so naturally grow complacent or get distracted. Not, verse 25, neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day coming. So, sermon point number four. We don't want to be that guy who has a heart that devises wicked plans, right? We don't want that anymore. We've lived long enough in that territory. We are now in Christ. So we need to replace the old with the new. 
And that is the scriptural injunction to set our mind on Christ. To be intentional about setting our mind on that which builds us up, which edifies us, not which corrupts us from within. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. You probably knew I was going there. Finally, brethren, this is the last chapter of Philippians, of his letter to the Philippians. Finally, I want to leave you with a good word here. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. This is where you park your mind. This is how you transform your mind, have your mind transformed according to Romans chapter 12. So instead of a heart, you know, a heart or a mind that is making evil schemes. Oh man, replace from the very beginning so that your mind is thinking on good things. Things that breathe life and sanctify you. Verse 9. Whatever you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Here's the results and I love it. And the God of peace will be with you. You might know in Philippians chapter 4, this is the beautiful passage where he begins by talking about the peace of God. And rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. And do we not need our heart and our mind, our anxious thoughts to be guarded by God's truth? But he concludes by saying, not just the peace of God will be with you, But the God who is peace will be close to you. That's beautiful. Number five. We do not want to be or have feet that make haste or are quick to run to evil. We know all too well there are temptations and pulls all around us that will pull us to a bad place, to an unhealthy place, to sin. We know that. So rather than have feet that run to that which is evil, let us learn to walk in his ways. When the scripture, when the Old Testament, it's a Jewish way of thinking, when the scripture talks about walking a certain way, that's a lifestyle. You don't just do it at certain times, but it becomes your rhythm in life. It becomes your what you focus yourself on. Proverbs chapter 9. This is wisdom calling. Come. There's an invitation. Come. Eat of my bread and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways. And live. Really live. And walk in the way of insight. 
Friends, this simple statement that is made over and over and over again in the book of Proverbs and in the Old Testament of leave this and go this way, it is amplified in the gospel. We have a much clearer picture. It is true. You want to avoid doing dumb things that will only hurt you or others. But in light of the gospel, let's just be done with the stuff from the past. Let's be done with it, not live anymore in it, and resolve ourselves, as Proverbs says, to walk in the way of insight. Not head knowledge, but here. Because we want it here, but we also want it here so that it shows up in our daily life. Okay. Another thing we do not want to do is be a false witness who breathes out lies. Bearing false witness against someone. God hates that. And breathing out lies. So in, in, to replace that, we want to speak life. We want our tongue to be a life-giving agent. So that when people are around us, they're glad they were. So that when people leave our presence, they're better than when they, when they first saw us. James has so much to say about the tongue. There are so many ways in which our tongue can be an agent of death and tear people down. Slander, gossip, cutting remarks. God says, be done with that. Be done with that. Ephesians chapter 4. Now you might notice we're in Ephesians a lot this morning and there's a reason why. Remember when we went through Ephesians, there's six chapters, three of which are doctrine and theology, and this is who you are in Christ. It's beautiful. It's, it's amazing. Then the last three chapters, four, five, and six, are all about, in light of that, live like this. In light of who you are in Christ, in light of what God has done for you, resolve to live in this way. So here we go. Chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. None. Zero. Let nothing come out of your mouth that is corrupting. But, contrast, only such as is good for building up. You see, Paul is doing in Ephesians what we're doing this morning. Stop doing that, but begin doing this. Right? He's not just saying, stop doing that. He's saying, this is how you ought to live. And this is why and how you ought to live like that. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. As it fits the occasion. That means you're giving thought to what's coming out of your mouth. Why? Or for what purpose? That it may give grace to those who hear. Let me ask you a question. Have you been around people 
when you're with them, you feel awful because they remind you, perhaps bluntly, of all your shortcomings? Have you been around people who give you an encouraging word? Who maybe don't focus on that one thing, but maybe the nine things that they can, they can encourage you on? Or the people who build you up in Christ specifically? There's a big difference. What the scripture is telling us is be that person. Be the person who gives grace when we speak. Because grace is how we are to strengthen our hearts. Do you see what he's saying, the components? Our words should be, should be that which is good to build one another up. Should be fitting for the occasion. And should give much grace. Now note the context, the very next verse. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. There's your gospel encouragement. The gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has been given to us as an earnest, a down payment of what is to come. Why would you drag him into all the muckety muck that you're walking in? Why would you drag him, subject him, grieve him by tearing other people down for whom Christ died? Be done with it. There's one more. To replace the one who sows discord, the one who's causing problems, specifically in the house of the Lord, the one who is pitting one person against another, one who is gossiping about others when they're not present, one who is slandering and so on and so forth. Let us be the people who promote and preserve unity. Now, we're back in Ephesians chapter 4, but at the very beginning. You will notice Paul begins with the word therefore. As they say, when you see therefore, you ask, why is it there? What is it there for? Like I said, we're like right at the heart now. Three chapters of beautiful theology. Beautiful theology. What Christ has done for us, what God has done for us, who we are in Christ. And now watch what he says, because this is that hinge. It, it lays the foundation for everything that we've just read from Ephesians 4. He says, I therefore, a prisoner, a doulos of the Lord, urge you, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Everything that we've seen from Ephesians 4 this morning, it comes out of this statement right here. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with which you've been called. And he'll hit some familiar territory for us this morning. First word, with all humility. I cannot promote unity in the body of Christ if I'm full of myself. Can we just say that? Humility is so important. 
with all humility and with gentleness. No one responds well when we're abrasive one with another. You might be speaking truth, but you're not doing it in love. With patience. Oh, so that means every time someone annoys you, you actually don't have to respond in kind. You remind yourself of the Lord's patience with you. Oh, and I love this one. Bearing with one another. I'm just going to say, that sums up a lot of relationships. Friends, even in the church, we all have our quirks. We all have our besetting sins. We all have our past history. We all have our present challenges. Bear with one another. Be patient with one another. Be humble. That's what the church should look like. This is what we're aiming for. All of this is in love. And we are eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. If you ever find yourself tempted or question why you're doing this, this is the unity that the spirit of God has put in place. Don't be that one to mess it up on purpose. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So saints, there are seven specific things that God loves. That God calls us to. So actually, this morning we have 14 sermon points. Look at that. We slipped them all in. 14 sermon points. So seven of them just steer as far away as you possibly can. The seven, the second seven, strive for them. They're all in God's word and they're connected intrinsically to the work of the spirit in our midst and the hope of the gospel. Let us live lives that are worthy of our calling. And let us encourage one another in all of these things, and let us train our children in these ways as well. These are the ways of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please uh, bow your heads and join me in a word of prayer? Well, this morning certainly has been all application. It's basically been that, right? Sometimes at the end of the sermon, there's, okay, well, here's how you apply this. Actually, we just gave you 14 things to apply this morning. As we close in prayer here, the sermon, like I said, I mean, honestly, all seven, seven of them hit us, but maybe there's one that you can... Look at and agree with the Lord that, you know, I need to grow in this area. I've caused some damage here. That you can specifically apply and ask the Lord for, your, for his help in living this out. Because we need one another. Brothers and sisters, we need one another. We need to be encouraged 
and, and uplifted and in our walk with the Lord. And these are seven practical ways to do just that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and we give you praise. You are the only one worthy of our worship. There is none other than you. We give you thanks first and foremost for the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ that first tears us down. That informs us and declares to us that we are not righteous in and of ourselves. Our goodness is entirely insufficient. Oh, but that's when the cross becomes so beautiful to us. When we know and we realize that Christ Jesus died for sinners. He laid down his life. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He shed his precious blood on a cruel Roman cross. That sinners might be reconciled to God. Thank you for the power, for the conviction and the beauty of the gospel. Indeed, as scripture says, Acts 17, that God now commands all men everywhere to repent. O Lord, if there is but one who has not turned to you and put their faith, their confidence completely in the finished work of Jesus Christ, receiving him and him alone as their Savior and Lord, we pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Oh Lord, may we never, never take it for granted. May we never talk about our salvation as in a ho-hum way. But oh Lord, may we be amazed over and over and over again at your love for us, the mercy and grace extended to us. And Lord, may we walk in those ways. Lord, we can only do this by the power of your Spirit. Show us the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, enjoying our communion with Him so we can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.